This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This special episode of Clear and Vivid is brought to you by the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University in New York. When scientists talk to the public, when they teach, when they collaborate with others outside of their field, when they try to raise funds, or when they try to change public policy, it's urgent that they communicate as well as they can. Helping scientists around the world to be clear and vivid is the specialty of the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. A lot of what I do in my life, including this podcast, had its roots in TV shows. For 11 years as the host of Scientific American Frontiers on PBS, I interviewed hundreds of scientists. But even before that, there was a show that began an 11-year run in 1972. More than 35 years after the cameras stopped rolling, MASH is still shown on screens around the world. And it certainly still lives in the hearts of those who made it. The idea that good communication depends on how we relate to the other person was something I began to learn while I was acting on MASH. So we really had to do an episode of Clear and Vivid where I could get together with Loretta Swit, Mike Farrell, Gary Berghoff, and Jamie Farr and talk about how we learned to relate the way we did. It took some doing because we're spread out around the country now. We connected through phone and internet. And as soon as we heard one another's voices, the kidding and the laughing began. Jamie, Jamie, it's good to see you. How are you doing? Thanks. Okay, wait, let's not leave it in the dressing room. Let's get the other guy on. Oh, here comes the great Mike Farrell. (laughs) Hey, bro. Hey, kiddo. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Now, uh, Gary, do do we have him on the phone? (laughs) Hello. Hello, Gary. There he is. Hi, Gary. Hi, hi, Loretta. How are you? I'm great. We're all great. We we can't see you, unfortunately. We can only hear you. So listen, let, you know what? Let me let me start us off. I'm, this is really so great that we can all get together like this, technologically, from one coast to another. Mike is. You can hear Mike opening up a can of beer or something. What do you, what do you, what are you opening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a can of beer. It you was. know, you've changed since we worked together. It's spinach. Spinach. <laughs> you know, kid, kidding each other like this reminds me of what I thought it would be fun to get into a little bit with you guys. Because 
the show is about, as you know, the show is about communication a lot and uh, and relating. And we when there's a show. Uh, the, sh- the show we're on now, Clear and Vivid. Oh, oh. We're, we're actually... I realize, we're, I thought, we're doing I was, a show, I thought this Mike. was like a good telephone call. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh, very clear and vivid to Mike, uh, apparently. It actually is, Mike. That is what yeah. it is. <laughs> Mike, I'll have to explain to you after we go off how to see, how to listen to Clear and Vivid. I think we'd really enjoy it, especially because you you're on it. This is the only show I've ever done where, there, where I have no union to cover it. <laughs> 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 so... Wait, the show isn't over yet, Gary. (laughs) Yeah, right. I have a feeling you guys are going to organize before the show is over. (laughs) We'll leave that to Mike. Well, here's what I I wanted to ask you about, because something happened while we were doing MASH that really made a deep impression. I mean, many things made a deep impression, but it changed the way I worked as an actor. And it was the beginning of changing the way I even related to other people in real life. And it was... The way we sat around in our chairs between shots and didn't go back to our dressing rooms and just sat there for an hour sometimes at a time making fun of one another and laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And often we'd go over our lines together. But the most valuable thing to me was that relating that we did and laughing together. And then we would walk when the lighting was ready. We'd walk to the set. And the same connection that we had as people carried over into the scene. Mm -hmm. And I remember times when we didn't even stop the kidding until right before the first person had a a line to say. Actually, Alan, I've seen (laughs) my memory has uh, some of us walking over to Daly's. Still doing that, still yeah. still running <laughs> lives. And I remember one very funny thing I saw was uh, you and Wayne Rogers running the lines of a scene that we had already printed. That's and right. I, I said, guys, hello, excuse me, <laughs> but, may, may I tell you something? But it wasn't a wasted effort because th- I remember so clearly that, and I think we all had this feeling that the show was more important than any one of us individually. And, and Wayne and I, on the night, uh, the night we finished our first day's shooting, we went out to dinner together and had a really, really genuine heart-to-heart talk where we, we said we're going to put the show ahead of everything else. And that led to our doing a scene one day, and at the end of the scene, at the end of the shooting day, we said, I, I bet we could do that better. And we stood in front of one of the trailers <laughs> as though the trailer were the camera. And we played the scene again. I said, now we got it. <laughs> but that, that helped us in later scenes in other shows. Absolutely. <laughs> but that, did anybody place, was it just me or did you also find something of value in the way we would sit around and make contact with one another? Well, of course. I, I still sit around and talk to all of you. <laughs> and you make know. contact. Absolutely. <laughs> I called Mike last night. No, he does it without off. it. Mike can do it without a telephone. That's what it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> but, Gary, what were you going to say? No, I, I'm just agreeing with you. It was of monumental importance to keep that energy going between us, you know, as individuals. We. We had a common goal together, and we had so much in terms of the work circumstances, so much in common, and uh, and to and also part of that was humor, and you know the the fact that we can sit around 
now and 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 laugh the way we're doing just by talking to one another. That's very similar to the way it was in between shots. Yeah, I love laughing. Is good. We all enjoyed laughing together. I actually uh, miss uh, miss that when you do other shows. You uh, you see the uh, the cast members. They get around. They just run the lines, and then they're off on the telephone or they're busy doing something else. And I really do miss our contact that we had because sometimes when we did sit around and uh, run the lines, we'd find things that we didn't realize were, were there, there. Absolutely, and, and would use them in the scene and to hopefully make the scene better. Linville, Linville and I used to go off on our own and work out little funny things together and then come back to the director and, and show him you know, or her uh, what, what we had done. And 10 times out of 10, they'd like it. They'd, oh, yeah, no, that's good, that's good. Or, you know, and um, you can't always do that with uh, other people. No, it's not, especially if, as Jamie says, people go off on their own and just ha- handle the mechanics of it together without... Uh, also, Alan, let me tell you, uh, I've, I've been working on a show lately, and it's totally different than our one-camera show that we had, where you would uh, get the script, you read the script, and then if there was any kind of uh, disagreements, uh, it would be settled before we got to the camera. And then we would keep the lines the way everybody said it was going to go. Uh, today, what they do is they uh, they have so many writers on the set. Uh, they have uh, a lot of cameras. It's all digital. And uh, they will not stay with the lines necessarily. The writers will say, hey, let's try this one now. Let's try that. Print that one. Let's try another one. And you can go on and on and on. It's not the way we did it where we tried to perfect whatever it is that we had. They yeah. just keep changing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've mm-hmm. been through that experience. It's getting to be a new style. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I wouldn't want anybody to think from this conversation that we lack discipline because I can remember that if a line change was a big deal. You get on the telephone, you called Larry Gelbart or whoever was the head writer. Correct. And you, you had to clear it with them before you could change a line. Uh, we were we were operating on you know there's no freedom without discipline, uh, and we yeah, were all I thought we were very disciplined, very much. Yeah. So we all came from the theater, or most yeah. of us did. I am. And That's and right. in the theater, you you know the word is is sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. And one time, yeah. I, I don't. I, you must all know this story. I have to look up that word. <laughs> I think I pronounced take, it wrong. Take, take a moment, saying. Jamie. <laughs> You'll never find it in the dictionary. I just pronounced it wrong. <laughs> but Wayne and I were out on location, you know, in the early days when they didn't think we were going to be a hit, and they didn't even have a telephone out there in the mountains where we shot. And we paid for our own coffee. Yeah, right, right, and their own peanut <laughs> oh, butter. Oh, I tell that story about the peanut butter and the and the co- oh, wait, 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 let me oh, tell you about wait, Wayne and me. Wait, wait. But this has to do with how disciplined. We were. we we were out there ready to shoot the scene, and there was a line. As we went over our lines before the shot, Wayne said, do you know what this line means? And I said, I don't know. I'm supposed to say it, but I can't figure it out. <laughs> I said, and we both agreed that it was probably a Larry Gelbart great witticism, and Larry was, was one of the great writers. And and so I said, I'm, I, it probably means something I don't get, but it's a great joke, I'm sure. So I said it the way it was written. The next day, we were looking at the rushes, and 
Larry was sitting right next to me, and the line came up, and Larry said, why did you say that? (laughs) I said, it's in the script. He said, that's a typo. (laughs) And we had to shoot it again, but that's how disciplined we said things we didn't even know what they meant. (laughs) We had such blind faith. Jamie, we were going, what were you going to tell us, Jamie? No, about the, the peanut butter. Remember when oh. they, we got the uh, uh, thing from Mark Evans about we were eating too much peanut butter? And, <laughs> and uh, we all went, uh, all seven of us went, yeah, we went to uh, uh, Cy Salkowitz, who was then the head of the TV department. We All seven of us, and we put on a $100 bill, each one of us. And he says, what's that for? And he said, the peanut butter. We're eating more peanut butter. You're eating pe- What do you want? Smoothie, crunchy. And the next day, if you remember, they, they had uh, cartons of peanut butter that went from the floor to the ceiling that they gave us with the peanut butter. But they, re- they gave us the smallest soundstage. They had no confidence yep. in us, which I think was good because it made us work harder. We had a solid no problem. bathroom. <laughs> we had to go no, no the ba- street. How, how long did it take till we had a bathroom on the soundstage? About six, six years, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's hard to hold it in that long. <laughs> <laughs> McLean said he had so many ants in his dressing room. Do you remember? No. He said, yeah, one day he said he said one of his army boots was moving across, across <laughs> the floor. His, ar- his, army, his army of ants were moving. His- <laughs> Oh, and then my. the rats, uh, and the uh, where we had rats on sound uh, stage nine. Yeah, and they Mike's were, they been were back there. On the uh, uh, not not the rats, but Mike has been back there and uh, saw the sound <laughs> stage when he did. Hey, congratulations, Mike, on the Versace uh, uh, series, the mini series. I, I understand it won some Golden Globe awards. You were on that, sir. I didn't know that. Uh, Me congratulations, either. Mike. Why don't you keep Why us don't informed you tell of these us about things? That? Be, I was uh, unhappy with the <laughs> with, with the, the outcome uh, of the uh, and murder. Outcome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, tell us about that. No, no. I, you know, it's one of those things. I I was uh, offered this part, and I I said I'd like to see the whole script, and I did. And I thought it was I thought it was really exciting to be able to do this character. Um, and without getting into the whole story, they cut out the really exciting parts of it. <laughs> so were you playing had, were you playing a bad guy? I, I was playing a man quite it's a famous story and and he's a, a real he was a real individual, one of the people that this man killed. But he had a double life. He had a he was a gay man married and his wife is um in denial today mm. about mm. that. Wrote a whole book about it. And it ended up being the subject of a potential lawsuit against Fox and the and you. Did now, this they, is all this is we, this is all conjecture on my part because nobody has told me this. What they told me was, I couldn't see the footage that they cut out, and no one could see the footage <laughs> that they cut out. Jesus, you know, that's amazing. I, I've never known you to be that bad. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I said, let me see it because I want to know if I was as bad as that. <laughs> as you're inferring no, that I, I mean, I've made bad movies, but to hide the footage. <laughs> 
The, no, wait, Mike, tell him when, when you went back to the soundstage, stage nine, and, and you oh, heard all the- Oh, that was great. That, that was that absolutely was fabulous when you wrote about that to tell yeah. all of us. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, it was wonderful. I, we, shot, we shot on stage 10, this thing I did, and um, I said, I've got I've to walk over and walk into stage nine, and I did, and everything, just as we were happy, the experience we're having here, everything came back to me. Scotty and uh, the 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 crew and Will and the Marty sounds <laughs> Marty Lowenheim and yeah. the gang and the us the the circle of chairs we sat in. I mean, I was just I was deeply moved just by being in there with mm. the ghosts of that show um, all around me. It was it was wonderful, and, and of course. For me, uh, this is one of the great experiences of my life. So I, uh, I knew I was going to be seeing something that meant something to me, but I had no idea I was going to be as affected as I was. As I haven't been back to that soundstage. Is anybody else besides Mike? Yes, I have. What, did you have yeah. a similar experience? Yes, I did. Uh, of course, the soundstage uh, looks more modern uh, today, and uh, even the bathroom is better. <laughs> they finally put toilets in and oh, urinals. So, so yes. And it's finally soundproof. <laughs> they, did, they took the trees out and the bushes. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was fabulous to go. And, and some of the crew people at Fox that were uh, on the lot when we were there are still there. And I cannot tell you... Uh, the degree of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 how can I say it, honor that they give all of us uh, and, yep. and remember the show. And uh, uh, it, just, it was just very something very special in, in not only my life, but those lives of those people that worked on the show. Oh, nice. Except the guy who found the box we buried. Yeah, yes, I know <laughs> that. Oh, remember, does Arlene still have the pictures of that? I, I think so. But let me oh. explain to anybody listening who doesn't know what we're talking about. The, in the le- next to last episode, the time story capsule. was that the people on the MASH, uh, in the MASH unit buried a time capsule uh, of their, some belongings that they had that they would leave for other people to find someday. So didn't Jamie, didn't you get the idea that we should bury our own capsule? Yeah, yeah. And then I tried to find a place that, uh, that would not be dug up. And I did find the place that was dug up. It was right by the commissary. I figured yeah. they'd never do anything by they, that commissary. Fox, Fox yeah. and, which was dedicated to some extent to art, but mostly to business, sold yeah. sold half their commissary and cut it in half <laughs> to build a, uh, an office building. And they were digging up the ground next to the commissary where we had buried our own beloved treasures Ooh. for somebody to find. Mm. So six months, we thought it would be found in 20 years or 50 years, you know. Yeah. So somebody called me on the construction crew and said, uh, look, I found this chest, this mash chest. What am I supposed to do with it? I said, well, you found it, so it's yours. He said, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> and he wasn't really sentimental about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about how I felt, guys. I I was afraid that you buried my teddy bear in that. Oh, oh because you weren't there. You weren't part of burying things at that point. Did we we buried a a, stand, a stand-in teddy bear? Did you take your teddy bear home with you? By the way, no, I didn't. know. as you remember, it was left uh, so that it could appear in uh, subsequent uh, episodes. Oh, you know, oh. I, I didn't even know that. Oh. I, knew, I, I knew it and forgot it. 
then I apologize, Gary. We we did bury your teddy bear. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we, I'm sure we buried his teddy bear. Oh, I don't know about yeah. it. I don't remember that. Where did it wind up? Did it wind up in the Smithsonian? It wound up with the owner who happened to be the set of the, the original set designer, and none of us none of us knew that. And he he put it up, and when he retired, he put it up for auction. I got wind up of it, and uh, I I got a friend to help me buy it. And then uh, my friend put it up for auction and sold it out from under me a couple of years oh, later. This is a tragic story, Mike. <laughs> you know, if we could find that guy, we might be able to find that lost film that uh, Mike Farrell is talking about. <laughs> Any, anywhere, I, I, I wish him well. Oh, that's good. That's very. That's very. Uh, Commiserable. <laughs> they look that one up. Wait a too. minute. Is that sacrosanct? Uh, I got to look uh, that, sac- one sac- no, look sac- that one up. Sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. <laughs> Is that Italian, uh, Alan? Uh, <laughs> so uh, you're reminding me. I I kept uh, from the show my boots and dog tags. Did anybody else keep keepsakes? Yeah. Yes. Indeed. I, oh yeah. Same. I have my boots. I have my pink shirt and dog tags. Uh, and you, I have Loretta, you kept dog tags? Yeah. I have the silver dog tags that you, Alan, made for us for Christmas, which oh, I yeah. value greatly. Yeah, and I have the ago. game that you made for us. Oh, for that game. That was the same prototype. No, I know I made a game. I have the fuzzy pink slippers. I have the uh, Mary Janes that I wore when I was uh, 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 the Wizard of Oz. I had those. When you were Dorothy. Yeah, and I had, mm-hmm. of course, I, I wore my own dog tags, uh, you know, on the show. So oh, I, you I did. I those. forgot yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I would have kept my pink robe, but I buried it in the oh, time Oh, you did? Capsule. No kidding. I hope it fits that construction yeah. work. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> Very pretty robe. Do you remember that Jay, the guy that dug the hole yeah, and buried it? Yeah, I really gave, dug gave it. Us, remember the shovel? I, gave us the shovels? Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I dug it. I, really I know what I wanted it. to ask you, Jamie. You Do you remember all the famous dresses that you wore in the show? They had been worn by great stars before you. Yes, I do. Uh, uh, one, nobody will know this one, but Dame May Whitty was one of them. Uh, Be- Betty Grable. You wore uh, Betty Grable's own personal yeah, dress? I had a personal dress, Alice Faye, and my favorite one was that gold lame that uh, Kelly and I did the uh, dancing cheek to cheek as Fred Astaire yeah. and Ginger Rogers, and uh, the show was aired, and the next day I was in the commissary, and Ginger Rogers was there. She was doing a love boat, and she came over to me, and she said, Jamie, I saw the show last night, and you know that dress looked a hell of a lot better on you than it did on me. <laughs> <laughs> she was so That's delightful. That, that outfit, incidentally, is in the Smithsonian, that gold lamey No kidding. One. Yeah. So, Did and you wear one of Milton Berle's dresses? <laughs> no, but you know what? One of the Bob Hope specials we did was uh, uh, the comedians were all supposed to come over to Bob Hope's house to watch the uh, Super Bowl game. And the gag was that Milton Berle and I show up wearing the same dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. While we were shooting MASH, we were doing more than relating to one another, of course. We were also communicating with the rest of the country. But what exactly did we feel we were saying with the show? When we come back after a short break, I ask my pals what they thought about that at the time. Hey, it's Kate. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. One of the embarrassing things about saying the name of the sponsor of this episode is that I have to keep saying my own name over and over again. Sarah, you do it. <laughs> it's the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science. Thank you. That feels much better. Here's, here's a little bit about us. This year, the center will be celebrating our 10th anniversary. And in that time, we've trained over 14,000 scientists and medical professionals. We do anywhere from 100 to about 150 workshops every year with companies, universities, and nonprofit foundations, and we work all over the world. The goal is to teach scientists, doctors, and researchers to be more effective and more relatable when they're communicating with the rest of us. Right, so that science, medicine, and technology can be better understood by us, the general public, and also by the people making big decisions about our lives and government. So if you'd like to learn more about the Alda Center and our work with Alan over the last 10 years and the many training opportunities that we provide, you can visit aldacenter.org slash vivid. That's aldacenter.org slash vivid. Great. Thanks, Sarah. And now back to my conversation with my pals from MASH. What's your impression about what we were communicating to the rest of the country while we were doing the show? Because I, mm-hmm. I had the impression that people thought we were communicating something other than what we were doing. For instance, many people said, oh, it's, it says it's about Korea, but it's really about Vietnam. I always thought it was about Korea. We're- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, Alan. Um, we, I never thought it was about uh, Vietnam, but I didn't think it was about uh, I didn't think we were making anti-war statements as much as we were making pro-humanity statements. Yeah, I felt that way, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Gelbart said uh, the best thing about that. It didn't matter what war it was. It was a backdrop of all terrible wars, you know, and yeah. it, it had nothing to do with where or what. It was really about war, but you couldn't avoid the comparison to what was going on in Vietnam mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. No, and I guess we reflected a point of view that many people had uh, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, disagreement with the war, which uh, after the war spread to a, a lot of the rest of the population, even among those who hadn't been uh, too worried about the war to start with. But I didn't, I didn't get – some people even thought that we contributed to the, the end of the war. People have said that, and I, I, don't, I don't see that. I thought we were just more like what Gary just said. We were telling human stories. Stories, right. And, That's right. Uh, under the worst possible uh, circumstances known to mankind, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Alan, one of the lines I still remember, and it was a, a great line as, uh, as Hawkeye, uh, you're kind of fed up with all of the operations going on, and you take a little bit of a respite and sit on a bench, and McLean Stevenson's character 
Colonel Blake comes over and sits next to you, and I think he kind of puts his arm around you, and and uh, he you you show your expression of of distaste for all of this, and he says that there are rules of war. And rule number one is that uh, people die, soldiers die in uh, wars, and rule number two is doctors can't change rule number one. And I just remember that line. It's uh, you, you wouldn't find that in a situation comedy at all, but that no, one was, that, right. just hit me that very was hard. from yeah. an episode called... Sometimes uh, you hear the bullet. Sometimes, sometimes you hear the you bullet. Sometimes you hear the bullet, yeah. which yes. showed us really, showed us really what we could be, I think. I mean, that was an important episode for us. Yeah, it I was think a turning it, point yeah, in the show. Probably the season three, would No, you I say? think it was season one. I think the the first time it was the the first time on a show a patient died, uh, and the studio the uh, network was really upset. I think the the guy who ran the network said, "What is this? A situation tragedy?" And <laughs> and uh, Larry, I th- Larry Gelbart, I think from that point on felt freer to be more. Um, more in out front with the the pain and the tragedy that those people must have lived through. I didn't remember that it was. Uh, My impression so is soon. that, but I'm probably wrong. Yeah. I, I, but yeah. I, I think it was Any, early. Anybody remember what what season oh, no, it was? I, I don't. No, of course not. You <laughs> no, silly twit. I wasn't there yet. <laughs> what what year? But we missed you. But I was Mike. watching. We missed you already. I know. Does that make sense? No, it's not sacros. Yeah, we missed. We, pre, we pre-missed you. Like, yeah, we pre-missed I, you. I actually Can like you that. Do that. You like what? <laughs> that you've missed me before I got there. <laughs> you know how uh, much I, I love you. <laughs> I, I personally am getting dizzy. <laughs> you know what? Uh, what I loved about what, one of the things that I thought was really interesting. We, we were talking about how we made connections with one another. We made connections with our characters too, mm-hmm. and. There was an effort on Loretta's part and on Jamie's part. I I get the impression that you were both very active in finding ways to make your characters more three-dimensional, more human and not just a one-note thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, la- Jamie's first scene was just a one-note thing of this guy wearing a dress to try to get out of the army. And nobody, none of the writers knew any more about him than that. And little by little, it, it grew. And Loretta's early scenes were just defined by the nickname Hot Lips. Mm-hmm. And you worked really hard to get that to be a real three-dimensional woman with a name, Margaret. I did. Yeah, and I that, did. that the difference and between was, those two names was was really gigantic. That's How about right. Walter? You know, I I I worked at that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you know, tell about that. that. I was right. I for, I forgot about that. Uh, well, you know, when you have a character that only has a nickname, uh, in my case it was Radar, uh, I was always wondering, you know, how do you flesh him out completely and make him a real uh, person? And that's why I asked Larry and Gene one day if they could please give me what we refer to as a Christian name. Yeah. And they said, what what name would you like? And I don't know why I said it, although I had a little playmate when I was a little boy named Walter Pitkey. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> how did you choose that? I, I don't know. It just popped out of me. <laughs> and uh, and to this day, Walter Pitkey is no longer with us, but his brother Peter Pitkey uh, emails me all the time. Oh, that's from nice. Forestville, Connecticut. Um, but that's so amazing that you were playing this part, and it didn't even have a didn't first even name. Didn't have a character. first name. Yeah, uh, and 
And, you know, I think a name is very important. Mike, did it ever, was it ever determined what BJ stands for? I yeah, can't remember. Sure. We, we did a whole show about it, B but I always, said, I, I always <laughs> thought it was a lie. B-E-A and J-A-Y. People ask me today what BJ stands for, and I keep saying anything you like. Oh, and I, I, I liked the resolution in the episode that, that was her name, uh, mom's name was B, mom's B-E-A. Mom's name was J, a B, and, and dad's I thought was, mom's, mom's name was J, and dad's no, name was No, B. you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I think it was in honor of, of Billy Jurgensen, our... Uh, of course it was, our, sure. Our technical director. Yeah. Actually, when I had the interview about the possibility of coming onto the show, uh, I said... Uh, one of the things I thought would not make sense is for somebody to come in and be Trapper John again or try to be. And they said, oh, no, no, of course not. But what we know now is this character is going to be named BJ. Uh, and they talked about Billy Jurgensen at the yes. time. A mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> little moment of silence there again. Well, Bill's well, no longer yeah. with us. He's yeah. a wonderful man, Billy Jurgensen, and a very talented, you know, technical director. Yeah. When When one of us started directing the rest of us what was that did we did we carry over that same camaraderie or was the person directing that week in a different space i I seem to remember when we would all get the giggles sometimes at five o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) if we've been shooting in the same tight space all day (laughs) and whoever whichever one of us was directing that week didn't find it funny that the giggles would go on (laughs) and on and on and on. And I remember saying sometimes as the director, people. (laughs) Yeah, we we became people. We were were no longer colleagues. (laughs) I remember remember laughing one time. We were laughing so hard. I was frankly on the floor laughing. You were on the floor. Tears were were jetting out of your face. I've never seen anything like it. Bert Metcalf said, Children? <laughs> Children? <laughs> but didn't you all find that if you tried to stop giggling, that was the it worst thing? It got worse, absolutely. Well, how about when they, when they would call the suits in? From the front office, and the front office, yet, and then the the people with the suits started laughing, and then they had to get them off the set. <laughs> How about that time, Alan, when you were directing all seven of us in the uh, in uh, the uh, uh, Colonel Potter's office, and uh, you 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 didn't think that first take uh, w- was okay? I forgot, was it Casey who was on the camera? He was a camera operator, and uh, you said we better take this again. We did like about. 15 or 20 more takes. And what you did is you printed the very first one. That was the one that went on the air. <laughs> I, was, I was a little crazy in those days. A little? <laughs> yeah. I, I did. A, we, you know, we often did many takes. We, I remember sometimes some of the scenes that looked the most improvisational <laughs> were the result of many takes and many rehearsals so that it could be done with a light touch and things. The timing would be just pinpoint. And and it, it it was what we were talking about about the discipline before. We found ways, I think, very often to do things over and over so that they would look like we were doing them for the first time. I, I remember. I remember one time you were directing it. We were in the swamp, and I was doing push-ups. And we had to keep doing the damn scene because you couldn't make the basket with the. <laughs> with the oh, I was trying to. I was trying to throw a wad of paper into a basket, right over and my finally, head. I was doing it with my back to the basket, and I. I and, 
I knew I, yeah, I knew I could do it. I just needed at, 20 or 30 tries. <laughs> at one point, David Hawks came over and he said, how are you doing? I've counted 100 push-ups so far. <laughs> well, you were always... Uh, but Mike, you're in such good shape. <laughs> yeah, you were always annoying that way. <laughs> Did you all know that we could never cross the soundstage without Mike trying to walk behind me and trip me? <laughs> I was thinking of tying your boots together again. Oh, I, you did that. I forgot that. <laughs> is that why you is that why you took up bicycling around the stage so that he couldn't trip you anymore? No, he, but he I've was, taken up boxing now, so watch your step. Yeah, that's okay. true. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about our our uh comrades who are no longer with us, and the wonderful contribution uh, they made to communicating on that show. Uh, the Harry Morgans, the McLean Stevensons, the Larry Linville, mm. David Ogden Steyers. Yeah. Uh, Wayne. We're dwindling. Yeah. yeah. Wayne Rogers. Yeah, Wayne. Exactly. And, and they're great contribution, and, and they became part of the show immediately. Uh, it didn't take them very long no. to fit in with everybody. It, it, was, it like was like getting into an old shoe. Yeah, like, like it was. That was miraculous. I mean, yes, it, it just, was. It just you, you guys just um, you know we have Mike here just just melted into our family. It, there was no segue. It was just amazing. Harry, same thing. And Harry was even more difficult, I think, because he was in an episode in which he played this crazy general who flipped at dawn, remember? Yeah, and, and then right. played a completely yeah. different character. And, yeah, and it didn't matter. It was gone, and, you know... And he Bill was... Christopher wasn't... Oh, oh Bill. Bill. Yes, he, what a... Oh, I, I certainly miss him. Oh. What a charm he was. I still say that he brought people back to the church. <laughs> He, Could be. He was, you know, <laughs> Alan. Uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't just uh, uh, professional. Uh, you know, all of these people are missed as friends. That that's mm. right. That that gets back to that thing we were saying before. We made such close contact that we we miss one another more as friends than as even as colleagues. And Arbus. Oh gosh, yeah, Alan Arbus. Alan Arbus. Charlie yeah. Dubin, uh, High Averback, all the wonderful directors that we had too. My favorite memory of Charlie, uh, we were again trapped in the last scene of the day in Potter's office. That always made and, us giggle, Potter's yeah, office. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah. because there was no air. We weren't yeah. breathing any air. It was, it was, we were crazed. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't in the scene to take up the air. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was one of the times when Mike was on the floor screaming he couldn't stop crying and and there's charlie in the corner on his on his high chair and his head is clasped and he's see, he's saying please please people that was one of the things about stage nine is the ventilation was defective and yeah, right. we, we, we would often fall asleep due to lack of oxygen does anybody remember sure Absolutely. I, I used was to asleep at the time. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, I would take naps in the uh, swamp until the bed bugs got me, and I mm. didn't go back in <laughs> or, we, or we would, we would uh, sit and put ourselves into this little trance we talked about, remember? We'd just... You don't remember. Okay. No, I, no, Alan, I, I, Alan. I have a blank look <laughs> Alan, on my face. Yeah, that, that was the look. You were like, put, in, put yourself into a little trance and take a little two-minute nap. You were telling me, Loretta, you were telling me before about scenes that, moments that you remember that you still make you laugh, and you made yeah. me laugh when you were telling me about, Gary, remember the, oh, the scene God. we were both in 
where you were trying to take off your shorts, Gary. He had to oh, he had to oh. examine you. It was it was always in our outtakes every year because it was, you couldn't take off the, your pants without laughing, and it <laughs> it, it just. It we did, must have done fifteen different takes or twenty More, takes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it got worse safely. and worse. And <laughs> what Gary didn't know was happening when he was trying to do it with without laughing, Alan would look into the camera and say, "He's not going to be able to make it. <laughs> He's not going to make it." Yeah. <laughs> and, and and would go back to the scene, and Gary there he would be trying to take off his pants, and it crack up. And Alan then would go back to the camera saying, "See, I told you he's not going to be able to do this." And it would <laughs> take after take after take. Well, I had never taken off my pants so close to an actor before. <laughs> a real a real doctor would have been okay, you know. <laughs> See, it was your fault, Alan. I, no, I, don't, I I understand how he feels, Gary. You remember walking in on uh, me and Alan. And he, I was giving him, I was giving him a shot in his gluteus maximus <laughs> at his insistence. And you walked in as, oh, excuse me, and he collapses. <laughs> it was you. The, so we're talking about that scene. And Gary, when you saw my leg, <laughs> you came into my tent and you saw my leg and said, but "It reminds me of my pony back home." <laughs> Yeah. Reminds me of my <laughs> yeah, pony I'm back. Right. I, that's hilarious. The only regret I walked away from uh, on Mass was that they didn't write more scenes for you and I. I, I tell you, Gary, I still, when I come upon it in the reruns, I watch it just because it is just like a piece of crystal. So the next morning, I run into Larry Gelbart. <laughs> at the peanut butter machine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I say to him, last night, Gary and I did a scene. I've never laughed so hard. He was, no, I mean, with that, and I went on and on and on. He said, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. And I walked away thinking, oh my God, I've overdone it. He's never going to, he's never, he's not even going to think it's funny. And so, unfortunately, he insisted on sitting next to me in dailies to watch this very funny scene that I raved about. But he did. He laughed so hard. He slapped my leg. It went flying up like I was taking a test. And he loved it. He thought it was just as funny as we thought when we were shooting. Mike, uh, uh, what about the practical jokes we used to play on everyone? And you tell that story the very best with David Ogden Stiers and the oh, uh, the uh, the yogurt, the frozen yogurt at the uh, at the commissary with oh, Richard yeah. Attenborough. Oh, please please tell that story if people hadn't heard it. It's just absolutely I, it's, wonderful. It all started because in the commissary, when a bunch of us were seated together, Loretta and Jamie, I think Bill and one uh, the woman who was a uh, on our crew for a while. Michelle. Michelle, Michelle, right, okay. We, we walk um, in, Michelle, my bell. And we, we, that's right. We were, anyway, we were all sitting having having lunch, and Harry, and, and at the time, you know, a lot of big stars came and visited the show and told us how much they loved it, and they made notes and sent light letters and what have you. Harry was with us at the table, and uh, uh, at the end of the our lunch, a bunch of waiters came over in a very big procession and sat down before uh, each of us a very fancy dessert. Uh, it was at the te- at that time soft frozen yogurt was a new deal, and they said compliments of Sir Richard Attenborough, and we thought, oh my <laughs> lord, Sir Richard Attenborough <laughs> likes us, likes our show, and he was sitting at the time he was directing a feature at Fox. He was sitting across the room in the commissary. 
And we all turned and said, kind of waved to him and said, thank you, Sir Richard, that's so kind of you. And he ignored us completely. <laughs> and we thought, well, maybe, 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 maybe he didn't hear us, so we said it a little louder. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Sir Richard, yeah. it, it was so kind of you. Thank you, sir. Total, total ignoring us. And Harry stood up and said, "Dicky, Dicky, thank you, sir. Thank you." <laughs> and a, a, as I'm looking at, at Sir Richard, and my eyes swept across the room, and at the other side of the commissary is David Styers sitting by himself, <laughs> laughing to beat the band at having created this insane situation. So the well, I said to everybody, oh, "Hold it, hold it! I think I think we've been had here. I think we have to sit down and shut up." The waiter came over with the check, and of course, on it was uh, the 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 cost of the desserts. <laughs> so I said, I said, take this to Mr. Styers, would you please? And he said, yes. He walks across the room, he gives it to David, who looks up, laughs, signs it, and then gets up and walks out. And I thought, oh man, I can't let this, I can't let this be. So I raced out of the commissary and chased him down. I said, David, 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 you really got us. Damn you. Uh, but you didn't have to pay for it. He said, oh, it's okay, Mike. I, I signed Gary Berghoff's name to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I wasn't so, even there. <laughs> Gary, Gary, Gary wasn't there. So I said, oh, God, well, I'll, I'll catch him tomorrow morning, and, and I'll explain to him what happened so he won't feel bad about the – anyway, so the next day, uh, Alan – and I mean, Loretta and Jamie and I, and I think you, Alan, were sitting around doing the lines as, for the upcoming scene, first thing. And Gary, the door slams open and Gary comes racing in and he gets in Jamie's face and he says, how dare you use my name like that? You could never, how dare you? Just chewed him up one side and down the other and then turned around and raced out. And I said, oh, Jamie was very horror stricken. And I jumped up and I said, oh my Lord. And I ran outside and I caught Gary in the street. I said, Gary, Gary, wait a minute, please understand. This was a joke and here's the dead. And he said, Mike, David made me do that. <laughs> he, he caught me this morning and he explained it all and he told me to come in. And, and I said, oh, that dirty so-and-so. I'll tell you what. Here's what you do. You, David doesn't know you've done it, right? And he said, no, David wasn't there. And I said, okay. The next scene is one in the post-op with, with Loretta and me and David. How about if you come in then and do the same thing you did to Jamie, but do it to me? And he said, great idea. So we went in, set up the scene. Bert was directing. And as we're setting it up, Gary comes running in and he jumps up right in my face and says, how dare you do that? You big so-and-so you can't do. You take advantage of my name. And we had a whole bunch of people standing, guests watching the scene. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Peanut. And he said, Peanut, why you big? <laughs> he said, you want to step outside? I said, let's go. And out we went across <laughs> behind the psych. And as, as we left, I saw David with a look on his face was, uh-oh, what have I done now? And we, Gary and I got behind the cyclorama and we started, Gary started banging his fist on the wall and screaming and I was smacking my fist into my hand and we were having just a wonderful brawl and we heard David come running, running around and he got to the end of the psych and I grabbed Gary and picked him up 
and he was waving his arms and screaming <laughs> as David came around the corner saying, Mike, Mike, no, wait, Mike. I was shaking Gary and Gary was going on. And David got up to us and he said, it was Mike, it was my, I, I, I'm, we, and we turned to him and looked and laughed in his face and he said, Oh, God. And he dropped to his knees and said, never again. <laughs> and, and he lied. No, yes, he lied. He did it again and again. Absolutely. We'll be back with the gang in a minute. You know, one of the really nice things of having been a part of MASH is that people are often stopping me on the street to tell me they became a doctor because of seeing me play Hawkeye. <laughs> That's really wonderful. Yeah, nobody ever says I made them want to become an actor. Well, for those who did become doctors, they might want to know about a couple of special medical immersion workshops the center is doing in 2019. These are taking place on August 5th and 6th at Stony Brook University on Long Island and October 7th and 8th at the SUNY Global Center in Midtown Manhattan. So if you're a doctor or other medical professional and you'd like to apply to attend any of these two-day immersions, please visit aldacenter.org vivid and click on workshops to learn more. Spaces are limited, so go to aldacenter.org vivid. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to the MASH gang. This was a, a, a questionable moment in terms of discipline. We used to play tricks on each other during the operations. Remember that? Yeah. We would, oh, yeah. We'd be operating would on somebody trying to save their life, and the other cast members would be attaching surgical implements to our gowns. <laughs> clamps, yeah. Clamps. And how, the trick was, how many clamps could you get on there before you make the person break up? <laughs> what about at Thanksgiving, Mike? Remember when we uh, played that uh, trick on Styers and we had his dressing room painted uh, yes. purple and orange? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and orange. We, we, uh, we went on that two-day vacation and came back. And we, we couldn't wait to see what he was going to say. He didn't say anything. <laughs> he didn't say a word. And there was a couple of weeks passed, and he finally said, uh, Mike, uh, Jamie, did anyone paint your dressing rooms while we were gone? And we said, no. He says, well, someone came in and painted mine salmon and mauve. He didn't say <laughs> mauve. Orange, but salmon and mauve. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful combination. It was so <laughs> <Yeah>. Winchester. <laughs> One time, uh, Wayne was doing a scene, and he said, to, and he, he was supposed to be drinking a, a little glass of cognac, and he said to the prop guy, "Give me some real cognac, so I so I can feel it." Oh, but oh, what oh. he didn't realize is we did twenty takes. By the, <laughs> by the end of the shoot, you, we couldn't get him up off the chair. <laughs> I always loved. Uh, we were talking before about the people we've lost. Thad Mumford being being one. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Thad and Dan were such wonderful writers, and they did two lines, and I was asking Dan who did which because they were both so great, and they were so demonstrative of the characters. One was, uh, the, and Dan said Thad had written it, uh, one was Bill when somebody, uh, actually David Ogden Stiers uh, said uh, to Bill on, in the scene, uh, my, you're vague today, Father. <laughs> Even for you. <laughs> yes, yes. 
<laughs> and the other was Dan, after uh, he was slightly snockered, uh, <laughs> Major Winchester came out of the, uh, out of the uh, mess tent, and we were, we were all supposed to be keeping uh, a secret, and he said, my lips are seals. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he was so funny. Fortunately, I brought something to read. Remember, he was yeah, at the bottom he, of a he, jeep. He was in the bottom of a jeep with about twenty nurses on top of him, <laughs> and he had to be there for two or three hours while we shot the scene. And we said, "Bill, were you all right under all those nurses?" He says, "Yes, fortunately, I brought something to read." I sent him a Bible at one point that was in ancient Greek, the original ancient Greek. Really? Where did and, you and, find uh, such a thing? He thanked me profusely for it. Uh, he was an amazing guy, Billy. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, very for smart sure. and wonderfully funny. Oh, so mm -hmm. perfect for that role. There is, I mean, there's no more perfect priest than Bill a, was. A unique, unique sense of humor. I, yes. I miss him terribly. Yes. We all remember we all would imitate his voice. Everybody did contests, <laughs> men, women, children. Oh, jocularity, we just, jocularity. Yeah. <laughs> There's somebody on the Twitter with the handle jocularity, jocularity. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Harry, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, that was Bill, that we, I think. Yeah, yeah, but then we all. I don't know, it was so long ago. All... What show are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> People tell me, as a matter of fact, People say to me, I've seen the show so many times. I've watched every episode many times. I know all your lines by heart. And I said, well, that's better than I did at the time. <laughs> I, I, can remember, I can remember you putting your lines in the wounds of the patient. Yeah, they, oh. they really fit nicely, too. <laughs> I, but actually, we didn't operate on patients. We operated on pieces of uh, foam rubber mm -hmm. so you could sew, sew, look like you were sewing something. But I would, because it was a lot of complicated doctor talk that you, had included words I had never seen before, <laughs> I would put the script on the, on the foam, um, the piece of foam so that I had to be looking down anyway for the operation, so it it, it didn't it, it wasn't it no, wasn't a much if, of a cheat. I, if I may, it was brilliant. You raised it to an art form. I've never seen anything so done so well. well. I'm not so I had I wasn't so bad as some actors I've heard of who actually. I, this is hard to believe. In a close up or, or an over the shoulder where the camera's behind the other actor and it's on your face, I've heard of actors who would ask the actor whose face wasn't being seen by the camera to wear a post-it on his forehead with uh -huh. the lines on it. <laughs> Alan, I'd like to say something really nice about you. Oh, if thank that's you. Possible. But, no, but, but, but you're not, but you're not but going you, to. But you're not able to. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about the discipline, the discipline that you had when you would uh, shoot five days a week on MASH, and then go home on the weekends to New Jersey to your family. Absolutely. I thought well, that absolutely. was absolutely fantastic. I get a little more credit than I deserve because I only did that for four months out of the year. <laughs> the rest of the time we were together and I didn't have to fly back. And, and, and then when the kids went to college, I didn't have to do it anymore because Arlene and I were together. But there, there, there wasn't one of us who wasn't totally committed to it. And, uh, and we gave each other strength by that. We gave each other confidence to continue the commitment because mm -hmm. we saw we were surrounded by people who did the same thing. Uh, the support uh, was just uh, um, 
amazing how we how we loved and supported each other without without thinking it's in retrospect uh, we look at that now and realize how incredible that was although although yeah, yeah. I will say uh, we were shooting and Alan and I were in helmets <clears throat> we were we were waiting either for the sun or something to happen and uh, we looked at each other and you said isn't this wonderful I mean aren't we lucky to be us uh, and uh, you wrote it again in in a book that you gave me and I thought how wonderful that we were able to, while it was happening, appreciate how special and wonderful it all was, this happening, this this mash happening that that we were all a part of. But it and didn't it, just, uh, pardon me, it didn't just happen out of the blue. Does that, did, do, you, do you all remember, not, Mike, you wouldn't remember this because you came in a couple of years later. Sure, when I was still missing in. you. I was, yeah, miss, when, I was missing you, Mike. <laughs> and we would, we would, Friday night, we'd have pizza and some beer. <laughs> And we'd sit in chairs, in a circle of chairs. And this time, it wasn't to make each other laugh. It was to complain to each other about things that what went it wrong. It was like group therapy. It was <laughs> really painful sometimes. <laughs> but we did and the that pizza for, wasn't that good either. <laughs> <laughs> but we did that for weeks. I thought it would never end. But it was really valuable because we we understood better from that who we were, who who, who mm. the other people were. It wasn't mm. just our version of them. We understood how they saw life from their point of view. And we could work around one another's idiosyncrasies. And I think we all had idiosyncrasies. So listen, I'm getting waves from the control room that we we have to wrap it up. That we, we have no discipline. No, we and that's the other complaint. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you'll all join me in this. We do at the end of one of these shows. We do uh, seven quick questions, hopefully getting seven quick answers, and they're all sort of generally in some vague way related to communicating and relating. So are you all game to give me some quick answers? Let's. Sure. Yeah? Yeah, I'm Okay, good. so, like, we'll start, so we'll just go around and around. Like, we'll do Loretta, Mike, Gary, Jamie. How's that? Okay, number one, what do you wish you really understood? Period? A question mark? That was it? That was yeah, the question? question mark. Yeah, that's What do a, I wish that I really understood? Yeah, this is taking a long time. Yeah, myself? <laughs> <laughs> you wish you understood yourself. Great. Mike? God. Oh. Gary. How people can be saying the same thing and think that they're saying the opposite. <laughs> I think I'm experiencing that right now. <laughs> Jamie. People. We wish understood people. Okay, number two, what do you wish other people understood about you, Loretta? Oh, um, that, that I try hard and mean well. Uh, Mike. That I try hard and mean well. <laughs> and you're, did you, and, did, and that was you that were, an echo? Or? And that you're a thief. The question is, what do you wish other people understood about you? Uh, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's, there's something nice in that. Jamie. Not complicated. Not complicated. 
Okay, number three. Loretta, what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? You just did. Okay, Mike. <laughs> is Alan Alda really as nice as he seems? <laughs> and this strikes you as strange? <laughs> it strikes me as redundant. <laughs> <laughs> Gary? Do you really sleep with a teddy bear? No. <laughs> they really say that? Oh, my God. I know, they I... say it all the time, and I think it's the strangest thing I ever heard. I mean, <laughs> it, it completely defies the reality of I was playing a character once. I know. <laughs> Jamie. Are you still alive? <laughs> uh, can oh, I, can, hey, Alan, can I back up and take yeah. another shot at that yeah, one? Because sure. Because it wasn't such a strange question. Um, the strange, that, um, I, what I find strange, because we're such a close-knit family, people will say, do you keep in touch with any of those people? Yeah, it seems you know? strange to and us. The, but I, you I know, know. In I know, fact, but, we all know that most theatrical companies, when they dissolve, that's the last time you see the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you've been very close. Worse yet, they yeah. were not very close to begin with. Right. You know. Okay, so Loretta, okay. now here's, yeah. a, here's the next question. Okay. How, how do you stop a compulsive talker? Oh, my. I don't know. I, I don't know that I even try compulsive. Oh. Just let them go on and on and on. Okay. I don't know. That's one way. I don't know. Mike, how do you stop a compulsive talker? <laughs> my wife has a little uh, business card-looking thing that you hold up, and it says, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Really? <laughs> yes, That's a good idea. Yeah. Gary, would you have a technique? Not really. I find myself backing away uh, eventually. and, and uh, Far far enough and they're yelling. <laughs> Jamie, how about you? How do you stop a compulsive talk? Looks like I'm listening, but I'm not really hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they eventually stop? Yes. I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm a compulsive talker, which is why I don't have an answer to that. You don't, well, <laughs> you, the I, thing you know, is, your trick I, is you don't have to stop a compulsive talker. <laughs> because I'm still talking. Yes, <laughs> they, they don't get in on it. Is, Loretta, is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? Uh, yeah. And he's going to go unnamed. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I yes, I, I yeah, pro- probably um, the the government right now, the the president. I I I I'm having a lot of difficulty. Oh, so Mike, do you have anyone you can't feel empathy for? It, it, so far, I haven't been able to work up any for Senator Mitch McConnell. Okay, all right. Well, this is all getting political. But, uh, yeah, but now, well. Gary, how about you? I. I feel that we owe everybody uh, empathy, and I try my best uh, with all people. Okay, good. Jamie, how about you? People who don't see the glass half full. All right. I think people without empathy should be hung, don't you? That's a little harsh, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. So, Loretta, how do you like to deliver bad news, in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? (laughs) uh, Definitely in person. In person. You like it, huh? I don't like it, no. But do you prefer it? I I wouldn't want for I turn it around to me. How would I want to hear something? And I would want somebody to be there with me. Mike. I think it would be unfair to do it anything other than personally. And Gary? In person. And Jamie? Drums. Drums. <laughs> <laughs> Tom-toms. No, in person. Yes, no, in person. 
<laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. Okay, last question. What, what, if anything, would make you end a friendship? It would have to be something terribly serious, you know, like, I don't know, murder or, I don't know, yeah, to, to end. Okay, well, let's all keep that in mind with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mike, what about you? Treachery. Treachery. Gary? If signing my name to the bill in the commissary didn't do it. Practically nothing. Ah, that's good. I think lying, uh, you know, lying to me uh, more than once might do it. Uh, Jamie, how about you? Betrayal. Betrayal. Yeah. But those are very serious. Those are the serious things that I'm not giving a name to. I mean, yeah. it would have to be something deadly serious like disloyalty or, you know. Well, this is a good question to end our conversation on because I don't see us, any of us, ever not valuing our friendship the way we do now. Ditto. It's, it's been so, so good to talk. I love you all, and I'm so glad that yeah. you joined us. Love Ditto. Too well. Same to you, Alan, um, and to Loretta, to Gary, was, uh, and to yeah. Mike. You, you guys uh, are like a little miracle in, in my life. I, I quite agree with all of that. I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how grateful I am for the, having had this experience in my life and continuing to have these relationships. Yeah. I think how we all feel about one another. So For thank, me, it yeah. was saying goodbye to Harry in goodbye, farewell. I had to look at mm -hmm. that face into those eyes mm -hmm. and say, you dear sweet man, I'll never forget you. I can't do it today without mm -hmm. choking up because the truth of the matter is we never will forget that dear sweet man. So thanks, Loretta. We're going out on a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> now that's clear and vivid. <laughs> Thank you him. so much, guys. That was so much fun. Love to you all. Thanks so much. Love to you, Alan. Love Thank to you, you and your you. family, Alan. Thank you. And you to yours, family. too. God bless. Yes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. dears. This has been Clear and Vivid, at least I hope so. I want to thank Loretta, Mike, Jamie, and Gary for making this experience possible. We do try to get together every once in a while for dinner, but this has been a very special conversation. My pals have been doing lots of interesting things. Gary has set up a GoFundMe campaign to help people affected by the California wildfires. You can contribute by going to GoFundMe.com. And Gary's book, called To Mash and Back, is available online. Jamie is currently in a recurring role as Dudley on the new Fox Network TV series, The Cool Kids. It airs Friday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, immediately after Last Man Standing. Mike has a one-man show he performs around the United States called Dr. Keeling's Curve. It's about global warming. He plays Dr. Charles David Keeling, who pioneered our understanding of rising CO2 levels and the impact that that has on our planet. Ever since I met Mike, I've known him to be dedicated to social justice. He's been president of Death Penalty Focus for 25 years. You can find out more about his work at deathpenalty.org. Loretta has recently created a book called Switheart, the watercolor artistry and animal activism of Loretta Swit. You can find her book online 
and she'll personalize it as well. Go to sweetheart.org. And Loretta is really into social media. You can find her on Instagram, at Loretta Swit, Twitter, at Loretta underscore Swit, and Facebook, at Real Loretta Swit. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula, our tech guru is Allison Costin, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. And I'd also like to acknowledge all of the engineers at Stitcher and Earwolf who managed the great feat of getting us all online at the same time. Our deep thanks to John Delore, Casey Holford, Brendan Burns, and Sam Kiefer. And my heartfelt thanks to my executive assistant, Jean Chimay. Absolutely none of this would have happened without you. You were, as always, amazing. Thanks, Jean. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Season 3 of Clear and Vivid kicks off with a Valentine's Day special. My visit with Dr. Ruth in her Manhattan apartment. You and I sitting here, your smile, your attention to what I'm saying, that's enough. Tell your wife not to worry. But that's enough for building a good relationship. Because what you are doing right now, you are giving me your entire attention. And you're asking me questions that I'm interested in. You're not asking me about golf. No, I didn't ask Dr. Ruth about golf. But in a freewheeling conversation that, of course, involved some frank talk about sex, Dr. Ruth Westheimer spoke as much about how to have a meaningful relationship as well as her experience in the military as a sniper and how she slips away from charity events with the flowers from her table and why Valentine's Day, despite its commercialism, should be properly celebrated. Dr. Ruth, next time on Clear and Vivid. To listen to these podcasts, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.